Alright, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Deuteronomy 16. We'll be continuing our study looking at using the law lawfully. And right now we're in uh, one of the sections having to do with the government. And so we're looking at a couple of different laws in the Old Testament concerning the, the government of the Jews. And remember, none of the laws concerning government have direct application to Gentile nations. These were God commanded these specifically for the Jews. He didn't say every nation needs to do this uh, for, for most of the laws about the government. Now, they are good examples. Our founding fathers, as they were studying various governments, one of the governments they studied was the government in the Bible, and their reasoning was that if God set up, if God himself set up a government for a people on earth, then that government was the absolute best government for those people at that time. And so they studied the government of God, pulled whatever principles they could out of it that still applied to our situation, and they followed those principles as much as they could in our own country because they knew that if they were perfect for those people, if we're facing the same situation here, then that law is going to be perfect for us too. And so they, they pulled as many things out of the Bible as they could. Now, there's some that don't apply. There were some unique things about that time period and that place in the world that uh, don't apply to us over here in America in much more modern times. And so those they didn't apply to us. They, they were selective in choosing which ones actually apply and which ones don't. But we have to keep in mind, these commands are not commanded to all Gentile nations. It's not a sin for the Gentile nations to fail to implement every single command uh, from the Old Testament in regards to government. Because it's never commanded to them, it's just commanded to the Jews. But anyway, let's look at some of these. We're going to look at three of them today, all having to do with the court system. So the very first one we see is Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse number 18. Judges and officers shalt thou make thee in all thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee throughout thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. Okay, and so here we have in Deuteronomy 16, verse number 18, the command for Israel to establish a system of courts. Now this is different from the command for them to have a, a supreme court, a high court. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago, or actually I think it was last week, we looked at the command for the high court. Now, this is the command to establish lower courts in all the cities. Every single city throughout Israel is supposed to have a court in it so that the people could go and uh, get their disputes resolved before a judge. Sounds like the coffee's ready if anyone wants to jump up and get yourself a cup. While y'all are doing it, I'll read the next couple of verses. So we see in verse number 18, judges and officers, shalt thou make thee in all thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee throughout thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. Thou shalt not wrest judgment, thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift, for a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise, and pervert the words of the righteous. That which is altogether just shalt thou follow, that thou mayest live and inherit the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Okay, so uh, a couple of bits of instruction there. We had the thou shalt, thou shalt not rest judgment. 
which is the judge has to be righteous, can't be judging wickedly, has to judge righteously according to the law, not to have any respect for, for persons, supposed to be impartial, uh, honest, not taking bribes, and perverting the words of, of the righteous. Okay, so the, that was all given in Deuteronomy 16, verse 18. It's also repeated again, in, or I guess not repeated again, but it's mentioned also in Deuteronomy 1, uh, verses 16 through 17. So let's turn over there. And this is the first implementation of the judges by Moses. He's recounting this before the people. Deuteronomy 1, 16 and verse 17. And I charged your judges at that time, saying, Hear the causes between your brethren, and judge righteously between every man and his brother, and the stranger that is with him. Ye shall not respect persons in judgment, but ye shall hear the small as well as the great. Ye shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's. And the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me, and I will hear it. Okay, so here we have... Both in Deuteronomy 16 and in Deuteronomy 1, we have a, a list of four uh, requirements for the court system, four ways that the judges were supposed to judge. Uh, the first thing we can see here in verse 16, that they were to judge righteously, and judge righteously between every man and his brother. And they were to judge impartially, They're not to have respect of persons in judgment, so the judge isn't supposed to play favorites and uh, give a good ruling to the people he likes the most. They're to judge fearlessly, uh, that you shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's. Meaning, you're sitting in God's place, you do what's right, and you don't worry about men. God is the one that's in charge of that judgment. You don't have to worry about what man's going to do to you if you're doing what God says. And then also judges are to judge humbly. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's if it was too hard for them, and not to let their pride get in the way, and just give a, a false judgment, the case is too hard for them, they're just send it on up to a higher court rather than uh, giving a ruling that's improper. They're to judge with humility. Now in the New Testament, as I mentioned already, there's no direct command for the Gentiles to set up this kind of system, uh, but it does provide a good example of a, a judicial system for nations to follow, and in fact, we largely follow this type of uh, judicial system in America because we have the lower courts in all the cities uh, for example Birmingham has its own court system and all your major cities have, have their own court system and then the, the lower courts try the cases if it's a case that the lower court can't decide they can bump it up to the to a higher court uh, and it can, or they can render a decision if people don't like it they can appeal to a higher court uh, and so very similar type of, of court system. We'll look at it also in, in, uh, when we get to looking at the witnesses that our court system is set up very similar to the court system that God set up for the Jews. In the church, however, it's a little bit different. We are commanded to be judges within the church and have sort of a judicial system inside of the church. And it we're supposed to be following uh, the model that God set up for Israel and the church. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians 6, and we'll start in verse number 1. 
1 Corinthians 6, verse 1. I'll go down through verse number 8. <clears throat> Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? That's uh, future. That's going to be after Christ's return. And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are, are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. It is so, or is it so, that there is not a wise man among you, no, not one that should be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now there, therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather uh, take wrong? Nay, ye do wrong, and defraud, and that your brethren. Okay, so here we have Paul rebuking the church at Corinth, because the members of the church at Corinth, any time they had any little small dispute between themselves, they would take the, their fellow church members to court in the, the Roman court system. And he says, this is wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. You're, taking, you're bringing a bad testimony upon the church because all of you as brothers are suing one another in court over these petty little matters that really don't matter in the long run. Instead, you're supposed to have love and charity towards each other. But he says you need to keep these disputes between the members of the church inside of the church. And instead of members of the church taking each other to court, have the members of the church come before the church and present it to someone else in the church to be a judge between them. And then you follow what that person decides as a judge inside of the church. And so the church is supposed to set up this method of a judicial system inside the church. Now, we're not told exactly who is supposed to be in charge, although it does say we would set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church, uh, and that actually fits perfectly with this, the fact that the judges in ancient Israel were supposed to be humble, and so you do the same thing in church. You find someone that's humble, that's not highly esteemed and in a position of pride, uh, in a position of, of high regard, just an average Joe from the church that can come in and be a judge. Which, by the way, that's the deacons were supposed to be very humble and uh, men that had high respect, but, but very humble and not holding high positions. Uh, so probably it would be talking about one of the deacons here. All right, but in the New Testament, the believers are given several commands regarding uh, judging that we could apply in this type of a situation that was mentioned in 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, for example, let's go to John 7, verse 24. So John 7, 24. John 7, 24. So John 7, 24, we have Jesus speaking. He says, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And so he's giving this instruction. Our judgment should be righteous. Now, in the context here, he's actually uh, not speaking to uh, Gentile believers, but he's actually speaking to the, the Jews there in uh, Jerusalem or in uh, Israel uh, prior to 
the gospel being given and all that. So these are not Gentile believers like we are. He is speaking to Jews. Uh, but the opposite of judging righteous judgment is judging unrighteous judgment. So you know, if we're going to be judges, then it follows that we should follow this instruction here. We're to judge righteous judgment. Uh, but the next couple things are actually uh, do actually have application to believers. Let's go to James chapter 2 and verse number 9. James 2 and verse 9. And here we read, But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. And so, as believers, we're not to have respect of persons. Yeah. Don't know where the road shoots are. I was off Friday. <laughs> All right. She was off Friday, so everything just fell apart, right? <laughs> she says. All right. So it says here that uh, that we, as believers, we're to not have respect to persons. We are to be impartial in our judgments. And then Matthew 10 verse 28 tells us that we are to. Uh, judge fearlessly. Let's turn to Matthew 10 and verse 28. One of the commands that Moses gave to the judges of Israel was that they were not to be afraid of men, but the judgment is of the Lord, so they trust in God's protection, and they don't fear men in their judgment. And here in Matthew 10, verse 28, we read, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And so applying that to us as believers and our role, uh, if we're ever called on to be a judge in the church, over any matter, we're to not fear men. Don't be afraid of whichever one can punish you the most if you judge against him, but instead we're to fear God and do what is right uh, in our judgment. And of course, Judge Humbly was in 1 Corinthians 6, 4. So we can see that uh, while the command to have courts in every city and to have judges that judge righteously and partially, fearlessly and humbly is not a command given to the Gentiles, it still has indirect application inside of the church and that we're to be righteous and impartial, fearless and humble in anything we judge in the church, and we are to be uh, judges within the church and to resolve our disputes internally rather than externally in the court system. Okay, so that's the law for establishing a system of lower courts. There's also a law for compelling witnesses to testify in court. And we can see that in Leviticus chapter 5 and verse number 1. Leviticus chapter 5, verse number 1. We actually looked at Leviticus chapter 5 a while back in regards to lying. And, uh, or not lying, in regards to keeping your oath. That's what it was. 
so anyway, verse, verse number one, if a soul sin and hear the voice of swearing and is a witness, whether he hath seen or known of it, if he do not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. So witnesses here are required by the Old Testament law to testify if they're called on by the court. <coughs> so if the witness hears something, he hears the, the voice of swearing, uh, it's uncertain whether this is talking about someone saying, um, I promise I will do this, and making an oath that he will do something, and then failing to fulfill his oath, and then he says, I didn't make an oath in the first place. And so the witnesses to the oath are called before the court and testify whether or not he actually made that oath. That's one way he could be talking about it. could be talking about the voice of swearing as in uh, cursing and taking the Lord's name in vain. And someone's called a witness against him saying, yes, I heard him cursing and taking the Lord's name in vain. And he needs to be punished. So it's not clear exactly which one of those. I think it would apply both ways uh, in either, either situation. Uh, the passage is referred back to in Proverbs 29, verse number 24. Let me turn over there and I'll read that one to you. Proverbs 29 and verse number 24. Whoso is partner with a thief hateth his own soul. He heareth cursing and bereath it not. Now bereath it means he doesn't give witness to it. He doesn't speak about it. Okay, so he's... He hates his own soul because he's hearing this cursing, same word as the swearing back in uh, Leviticus 5, same concept. So he's hearing this cursing, and he's not testifying about that cursing before court when he's called on to, to testify against it. So he's, that person hates his own soul. He's a sinner. It's forbidden in the Old Testament law. So the, this verse, Leviticus 5.1, condemns a man who will not testify in court against a friend who has done something wrong, whether it's doing something wrong and breaking his oath or doing something wrong and, and taking the Lord's name in vain and, and uh, cursing someone. Either way, he has to testify against his friend when he's called on to testify against him in court. And if he doesn't, then that's wrong. Okay, now the New Testament application, there is no direct command of this for the Gentiles. It's just a, a good example for us to follow, and we do follow this example in America. A witness in America, if you receive a subpoena from the court, then you are required to come and testify as to what you know in the court. <clears throat> you are required to tell the, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth uh, in front of the court in answer to that subpoena. If you don't, then you're considered in contempt of court and you will be punished. And so same exact type of law that they had in Israel is implemented in America with uh, our subpoena system and the requirement for people to testify in court if they receive a subpoena. Now there are certain exceptions to that. Uh, for example, you're not required to uh, incriminate yourself uh, through your witness, so you know, the Fifth Amendment, pleading the Fifth. Uh, the wife is not required to testify against her husband. The husband not required to testify against the wife, uh, which by the way, that's based off the fact that they are considered one flesh. And so if you have the Fifth Amendment says you can't uh, testify against, be forced to testify against yourself and the husband and wife are one flesh, then that means for the husband to testify against the wife will be him testifying against himself and vice versa. Uh, so that's also based on a concept in Scripture.
But we do follow that exact same thing here in America, that uh, witnesses are compelled to give testimony if they're called on to do so by the court. All right, and then one final thing for today, examining the witnesses. Uh, the Old Testament commanded the courts to diligently examine the testimonies of the witnesses and verify that they spoke the truth. So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy 13 and verse number 14. Now this is speaking of an accusation being brought against someone uh, or being brought against a city that that city has turned aside and is following false gods. Uh, and this is the instruction to the judges of what to do when that accusation has been made. Verse 14, Then shalt thou inquire and make search and ask diligently and behold if it be truth and the thing certain that such abomination is right among is wrought among you, then thou shalt surely smite the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, etc. But you'll notice in the beginning of verse 14, they were required to inquire and make search and ask diligently. So they didn't just take what the witnesses said at face value. They had to verify it. They had to examine what the witnesses said and they examine their testimonies and make sure that what they were saying was the truth. Let's turn also a few chapters over to Deuteronomy chapter 17. And verse number 4. And this is talking about an individual being accused of following an idol or a false god. And it be told thee, and thou hast heard of it, and inquired diligently, and behold it be true, that and the thing certain, that such abomination is wrought in Israel, then shalt thou bring forth that man or that woman, and etc. So in verse number four, it shows, again, the judge was to inquire diligently and find out for sure that what was being testified was true. Uh, and then in Deuteronomy chapter 19, another cha few chapters over, Deuteronomy 19 and verse 18, we see what was... We see at the beginning of the verse, and the judges shall make diligent inquisition. Okay, so they're, they're to inquire diligently, once again, to be very diligent to make sure that what they hear is the truth. And then there's a penalty for the witness that is presenting false information and if the judge discovers that. And behold, if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall you do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother, so shalt thou put away, put the evil away from among you, and those which remain shall hear and fear, and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. And thine eye shall not pity, but life shall go for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And so there's very severe penalties for the witnesses who testified falsely and were found out. And so if, if it was a murder trial, for example, which is... I believe this is what I'm speaking of here. I know it's just talking about in anything, uh, any trial. But if it's if it's a murder trial, then the false witness gets put to death. He gets the penalty that the person he's testifying against would have received 
if he'd been found guilty. Uh, if it's a, a matter of suing over a piece of property and uh, saying that uh, this man owes this other man so many uh, acres of land until the year of Jubilee, well, if the witness has testified falsely, that many acres of land get taken from his property and given to the, the person that uh, he was testifying against. So he was he was to be punished exactly how he wanted the other person to be punished if he brought a false witness. And if we look at New Testament application, once again, uh, there's no direct command for the, the Gentile nations to implement a law uh, saying that the judges had to make diligent inquiry into the witness testimonies. Uh, it's still a good example for Gentile nations to follow because we do have cases where there are false witnesses, so that would be something that God implemented in Israel that would still apply to us today and we're not going to get a system better than his system and so we can implement that here and we have a similar law the, this law is not law is not implemented exactly the way it was in Israel uh, but it is very similar uh, in that the opposing party in any trial has the opportunity to cross-examine every witness that's brought so the defendant has witnesses brought again that testify that he committed the crime, and he has the opportunity to cross-examine all those witnesses, and then to call witnesses in his defense, and the uh, prosecution can cross-examine those witnesses. So it's a very detailed process of cross-examination, so it would fit the requirements in the law, in the Jewish law, for a diligent examination and a diligent inquiry into the witnesses. That's the reason we have that set up to fulfill, we took that concept and we applied it in America uh, in our laws. <clears throat> now we also have, oh, go ahead. Did they use the, the same system with the prosecutor and the counselor? Well, I don't know for sure if they had the, the lawyers for the prosecution and lawyers for the defense. Uh, it would seem that way if you read the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is laid out like it's a court case and God is the judge and you have the, the prosecution that's presented as a, a testimony against Israel and so God fulfills the role in, in Isaiah as the judge um, you have God sort of as the prosecution it's more look like Satan is the accuser um, in, the, in the book of Isaiah and then you have the defense and Jesus is the one that steps in and defense of Israel, the, the Holy One, the servant, the one that makes the sacrifice. He steps in as, as the defense. So reading the book of Isaiah, it sounds very similar to our modern structure of having the, the prosecutor, a lawyer as a prosecutor, and another lawyer to represent the defendant. So I would think that they had something similar to that set up in Israel. But the Bible doesn't tell us for sure one way or another. Okay, another way in which our system is very similar to theirs uh, is that a false witness under our system is punished. He's found guilty of perjury. Now, I think it would be beneficial to us as a, a nation if we implemented the strict punishment that was implemented in Bible times where whatever the witness thought to do to his brother, that's what's done to him. Uh, that would put an end to a whole lot of uh, the perjury that goes on in our courts. Uh, but we don't implement the, the penalties of perjury to that extent and so there is still some perjury that goes on 
especially in your uh, high-profile cases. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of perjury that goes on the whole, and many times the perjury is, is open and obvious to everyone that watches the case you know, on their on their news or the TV and watch the, them give their testimonies. You can tell, yeah, this person's obviously lying. Here's the evidence that they lied, and no charges of perjury are ever brought against them. And even if charges of perjury are brought against them, they they get a little slap on the wrist, and that's it. Uh, I think that if we were to fully implement the uh, penalties from scripture that uh, there would be a whole lot less perjury that goes on in America. Okay, now also the church is commanded to follow the process of making diligent inquiry of the witnesses and examining the witnesses closely. Uh, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. First Timothy chapter 5 verse number 19. This is Paul instructing Timothy. Now, Timothy is the pastor here, but he's instructing him how to judge when an accusation is brought against one of the elders in the church, one of the, the leaders uh, in the church there in uh, Ephesus. And it says, Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. So, meaning you don't just take the testimony of one person and say, Okay, because of this one testimony, this person is guilty. Now you take two or three testimonies and you have to look at those two or three testimonies and compare and contrast them and find out whether or not the person is guilty of the wrong that they've been accused of. Now let's go also to Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 16. And this is talking about disputes between two believers. One thinks that another believer has wronged him in some way, and so he first goes to the brother, tries to resolve it one-on-one. -on -one. He can't resolve it one-on-one. -on -one. Then you have verse number 16, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Okay, and so... You don't just go to the brother and, or take it to the court or to the church. So you don't just take it to the church right after meeting one-on-one -on -one with that brother. You get a couple of witnesses with you after that and go to them again and try to resolve it in the presence of those witnesses. And then you have witnesses that can be cross-examined and examined diligently uh, before the church in order to establish for sure that this brother has done something wrong. And then he can be brought before the church. The church can decide, yes, you've done something wrong. And if he doesn't hear the church, he is kicked out of the church. Okay, let's look also at 2 Corinthians chapter 13. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 1. And this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. Now remember, this is his second letter. Uh, and of course, he established the church in Corinth, so he was there in person at first. 
And so in verse number one, he says, This is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time, and being absent now, I write to them which heretofore have sinned and to all other, that if I come again, I will not spare. Okay, and so he's giving them a warning. This is now the third time that I've written unto you or appeared before you. Once was in, in person and twice in letter. So that gives three times. And so now he says you, have, you now have three witnesses of what I'm telling you to do. And if I have to come there and deal with this in person again, I, it's not going to go well for you, is what he said. Because you've got three witnesses that you can examine, you can re recall from what I said in person, you can look at the first letter, you can look at the second letter, cross-reference all of that, and find out for sure what I'm telling you to do. And you have no excuse after that if you don't do what you're being told to do. Uh, and so if I come again, I will not spare. <laughs> you're going to reap some pretty severe punishment if I have to come in again. Uh, reminds me of a, of a dad talking to his kid. You know, I was giving you three warnings if you don't want another one. Uh, or you're not going to get another one. You don't want what's coming next. And so here again we see this idea of having the two or three witnesses that are supposed to be examined and then you find the truth uh, of those two or three witnesses. And it's interesting that here two of the three witnesses that Paul is speaking of are not physical people uh, being present there. It's two of the witnesses are written words. Uh, the fact that I've written you a letter. And so witnesses do not have to be eyewitnesses. It can be uh, material evidence like written letters and things like that that are, are counted as witnesses. And you can do a study of that. We don't have the time to do it now. We might some point later in the future, but you can do a study of uh, witnesses and, and testimonies throughout Scripture, and many times inanimate objects are used as witnesses. Uh, for example, the, the monuments that they would set up uh, after uh, some great victory was a witness that God had done something. So it's it something that was even valid in court, that God had done something, so evidence uh, was used as witnesses and counted toward those two or three witnesses. It didn't always have to be eyewitness from a person. Just two or three individual pieces of evidence that confirmed the truth. All right, so that's the command for examining the witness. We've got three commands here about the courts, establishing the lower courts, compelling witnesses to appear before the court and give their testimony, and then examining the witnesses and the testimony that they can present. That's all the time we have for today. Any comments or questions? We'll get out of here a few minutes early. Russell, why don't you pray for us and we'll be the next. <coughs>